We have been studying through the book of Galatians, and we're going to continue studying through the book of Galatians. But this year, our theme is Come Boldly. Come Boldly. And that's our text in Hebrews that we're going to look at this morning before we move on. And every month this year, Lord willing, I'm going to try to bring a message on prayer and how we can come boldly. And this morning, I'm speaking on the subject, Come Boldly for Your Family. Come Boldly for Your Family. How can we pray for our families? Husband for wife, wife for husband, uh, parents for children, children for parents. How can we pray for our family? And I know that all of us in here pray for our family. I know we all do that already. But let's see if we can learn a little bit more about that this morning. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let me comment on that for just a moment in this area of the home and of the family. Remember what Jesus Christ said about His family? A prophet is not without honor, but in his own home and among his own kin. Jesus Christ's family thought he was crazy. Remember? They said, let us lay hold on him, for he is beside himself. That's what They came to get Jesus and physically take him home because they thought he was nuts. Can you imagine the very Son of God, the Messiah, the virgin-born one? His brothers and sisters didn't believe in him. Now later, we know at least James did, but not then. So when the Bible says that Jesus Christ can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, He understood what it was like to have trouble at home. He understood that. What's His remedy? Look at the next verse. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What we're going to start with is a foundational truth. A foundational truth. Now, I've got some good news for you. I only have two points today. They're just both really long points, okay? So the first one is a foundational truth. Now, keep Micah. I hope you have a mark there. Remember, if you have any maps in the back left, just tear one out and put it in there and uh, so you'll have your spot. But uh, let's, let's go to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Foundational truth. Mark chapter 12, look at verse 28. And one of the scribes came. Now, the scribes were religious leaders of the day. These were men who were experts in the Old Testament, and they would make copies of the Bible. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them, reasoned together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him. So men had been asking Jesus Christ questions, and Jesus had answered them well. Imagine that. No great surprise, right? Uh, and he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? All right, now remember what we've been talking about in the book of Galatians. We've been talking about the law. And one of the great mistakes that Christians make is when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments. Right? Would you all agree with that? That, that's a, that? that most people, when they think of the law, they think of the Ten Commandments. So Jesus Christ is asked by a scribe, which is the greatest of the commandments? Look at Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered him, we're in verse 29, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is one Lord. That's Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one Lord. What part of the Ten Commandments, which one of the Ten Commandments is that? It's not. It's not. You see, we must understand that the law is half of Exodus, all of Leviticus. We have more given to us in Numbers and Deuteronomy. That's the law. And it's more than just trying to keep 10 things. There's about 614 things that we're supposed to keep if we're going to be saved by the law. Right? But God gives us, when, when Jesus Christ was asked, which is the greatest of the commandments, He says this. Let's look at it again, verse 29. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. All right, so what is the first thing that we learn Jesus Christ says to us? In verse 29, the first thing that we learn, we're learning some foundational truth, how to pray for the home. The foundational truth is this, there's only one God. That's where we start. And how many of you already knew that? Okay, thanks, Pastor. Good, thanks. Well, see, the scribes already knew that. You see, the, the world that Jesus Christ was speaking to, the religious world at that time, they believed in the one true God. They already knew that. He's laying a foundation, a principle. He's saying, this is the greatest thing for you to understand. There's only one God. So we as American Christians, here's what we need to know. There's only one God. You can only have one God. You can't have many. So if your career is a God, now you've got two gods. If your family is a God, now you've got two gods. If your education is a God, now you've got two gods. You see what I'm saying? There's only one God. There's only one true God. So we can only have one God, not many. And you ready for this? This is foundational truth. We can only devote ourselves to one God, not many. You can only be completely devoted. How does the text say it? Verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with part of your heart, and with part of your soul, and with part of your mind, and with part of your strength. You see, now here's our problem. <laughs> we really do love God, and we really do worship Him. And I believe that people in this room, you wouldn't be here if you didn't love God and, and have a desire to worship Him. That's why we're here. Amen? That is why we're here. The question that I would have for you today is, what is the percentage of worship? What is the percentage of devotion that you have? So we're laying the foundation. How am I going to pray for my family? How am I going to pray for my family? Foundational truth is you can only have one God, and you can only devote your heart, mind, soul, and strength to one God. And so my question to you today is simply this. Is your heart, soul, mind, and strength devoted to the one true God? Holy. Completely. Completely. And I would say that if we just stopped right now and had the invitation, probably everyone in the room would have to bow their knee. And say, I think maybe I do have a divided allegiance. In some area, in one of those areas, I think I do have a, a divided allegiance. Are you starting to see how to pray for your home? Are you starting to see why we need to come boldly before the throne of grace? 
foundational truth. There's only one God. And we can only be wholly devoted to one God, not many. And this devotion to the one true God results in something. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 31. And the second is like, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So when you are completely devoted to the one true God, that results, that works itself out in love. You love Him. So I would ask you this morning, how's your love meter? I got a friend, pastor's down in Cincinnati. His name is Jim Love. Brother Love. Could have had him come up and talk to us today. Brother Love's Traveling Salvation Show. Um, some of you all are too young to understand. Don't worry. Now look, <laughs> Jacob, you're not supposed to know that. Shh. Now, now, just a minute. Now, here, here, this is so important. Valentine's Day is coming up. That great scriptural holiday <laughs> where you got to buy candy and stuff. Now look, do you know what's supposed to happen when you really love God? When you're really devoted to Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That doesn't make you mean. That, that, that doesn't turn you, in, turn you into a crusader. It turns you into a lover. And who do you love? You love your neighbor. You love the people around you. Who's the one closest to you? Your spouse. Your children. And then that manifests itself out. That, that extends. Those waves trickle out to the people around you. And so I wonder if one of the defining characteristics of you, if someone said, define so-and-so, if one of the first things they would say is, that is the most loving person I've ever been around. You see, when you're wholly devoted to the one true God, that results in love. And then secondly, in humility. Look at what it says, verse 31 again. And second is like, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, wait a minute, I'm better than my neighbor. Is it really condescending if I'm better? <laughs> See, we might not say it out loud. Man, why won't that knucklehead paint his garage? What's, can't he fix that gutter? His dog's been in my yard. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What we're supposed to say is, you know what? I'm just a beggar showing other beggars where I found bread. If my primary goal is worshiping God and I've devoted myself completely to Him, that'll work itself out in the way that I treat other people. So love and then humility and then, you ready for this? Right priorities. Because look at what it says, verse 31. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. One God, love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there's nothing more important than those things that I just said. So I want you to think in your mind. Now, here's what I love. Pastor, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. Well, I'm glad you're thinking about others. That's great. But today, <laughs> let's think about ourselves and say, Lord, okay, I want to learn how to pray for my home better. Where are you in this? Where are you in this process? Is, your, is the number one priority in your life, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're at play, to honor the Lord your God, to love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength? and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, to remember that one, you can only have one God. In America, we have many gods. Wouldn't you agree with that? One of them just died last night. 
Whitney Houston. Right? People said, boy, I wish I could have her life. Man, beautiful lady. Unbelievable voice. She used to sing in the church choir. First time she ever sang a solo, 11 years old at church. I wish she'd stayed at church, don't you? You know? This world will destroy you. It'll kill you. And she has had the worship and adoration of many. How many modern singers say, I want to be like Whitney Houston? How many of you would like to be like Whitney Houston right now? Now, I don't know. I'd kind of like to be with Jesus. But the way she went out, alone in a bathtub, gone. That's it. Life is over. What is life but a vapor that appeareth for a little time? Vanisheth away. See, we as Americans, we have a lot of gods. But in reality, there's only one. And so what happens is we have priorities that are established. So what does that look like then? If, if we understand that there's one true God and we're supposed to love Him with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves and understand the priority of that, this is the greatest of what God has called us to do. What's that look like? Well, God describes that for us in the book of Micah. Go there with me now. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Okay, so now this is, again, children of Israel. This is them telling them how to, this is the prophet of God telling them how to live before God. How, how does living out, what does living out these commandments actually look like? Verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? All right, so now, if we understand there's only one true God, we've got to love Him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the greatest commandment. What's that going to look like? Jesus Christ has given us the commentary on the law. Would you all agree with that? So now, what's that going to look like, practically speaking? What has God said we are to do? Well, look at the first one. Do justly. Well, what am I supposed to do justly? Everything. Whatever you do, do it justly. In other words, do right. Just do right. When you're at work, do right. When you're at home, do right. When you're at school, do right. When you're at the ball field, do right. When you're listening to music, do right. When you're watching television, do right. When you go, whatever you're doing, do right. Is that right? And we're going we're gonna to keep, keep rolling with this. So, first of all, do right. And, then, and this is a simple way of looking at it. All that God requires of you is righteous living. That doesn't sound very simple, though, does it? Let's go on. So what does this look like? Do justly and then love mercy. Why do we love mercy? Because we fail. All of us mess up. Is there anyone here that didn't mess up this week? Anyone? No. All of us. We all fail. That's why we love mercy. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Amen. And see, this is where we have to understand. Because I understand how much I need mercy... That's why I love to give mercy. What does that have to do with my home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're starting to see our foundation? When our foundation is right, then we know where to go from there. So because I am a frail human, which is redundant, because I live in this body of flesh... And because God has called me to do righteously, and the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? There's none righteous, no, not one. Wait a minute. Now I've got a command that I can't keep. Now we see the problem. That's why you'd better love mercy. 
We, lo- we need to love mercy. And be- we love to receive mercy and we love to give mercy. So do justly, love mercy, and then walk humbly with thy God. I'll tell you what, when you understand the command, do right, and you understand the mercy, you love that, then it becomes much easier to walk humbly, doesn't it? When you, when you understand how much mercy you have received, it's kind of hard to get all puffed up and say, hey, look at me, look how good I am. Yeah, I wish you were as good as me. Yeah. We, we can't do that. That's going to help us to walk humbly. So here's some foundational truth. Only one true God. and He's told us to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Well, why is this so hard? Well, let me ask you already. How many of you pretty much knew everything that I just said? I mean, you, you pretty much, you know, maybe not into the exact words, maybe not as, as well thought out and presented. But, but you knew it. You knew it already. Uh, you know, like, like I think it was Chesterton. He said in his book, Orthodoxy, he was a Roman Catholic. He had gone from atheism to Catholicism. And he said that um, he's like the man who set out on a journey on a boat to find a new land. And when he discovered it, there were already people there. And he said, that's the way I am with orthodoxy. Uh, I am like he who with the utmost daring discovered that which had been discovered before. You know, what we all do, I wish he had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. That would have been great, wouldn't it? I wish he had. But that's what we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great for us to discover truth that has been revealed for thousands of years. That's good for us to get in line with the truth of the Word of God. There's no shame in coming to truly understand something that really ought to be obvious. There's there's no shame in that. I remember when I was a kid, we went to Arizona on a vacation. And I just thought of this this week. I hadn't thought of it in years. I was sitting at an Arby's, and outside the Arby's was a bunch of cactus there in Oklahoma. And I remember when I was a kid... I went up to Arizona, and I wanted to pick up this piece of cactus. And so I reached between the, the spikes on it, and I found out there were more. <laughs> right? That's one of those things where, now I know. <laughs> Don't pick up cactus. Now, how many of you already knew not to pick up cactus? All right? Some of us are slower than others. How many of you already knew that there's only one God? Yeah, but we also realize there's all these other gods in the world. That's why we need to have this truth brought back to us. Well, wait a minute. Is there anything that I'm thinking about more than God? Is there anything that I'm devoting myself more to more than God? These are foundational truths that we have to come and grasp. So we all get this, I think, to a certain extent. But why is it so hard? Why is doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly so hard? Why is loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself, why is that so hard? And why is giving that the priority in my life so hard? Well, it's because all that is called wise in this world is opposed to the wisdom of God. Look what the Bible says. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, we're going to be running through a bunch of Scripture now. So let's uh, keep our Bibles open in front of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to try and learn from the Bible why we need to pray for our family and then how to pray for our family. And so we're still discovering some foundational truth. We know there's one God. We know we're supposed to, we're supposed to love Him. And we know that we're supposed to do mercy or do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. Why is it so hard? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. 
If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Okay, look up here with me for a second. We have to get this. The wise people in the world, their wisdom, it's foolish. It's foolish. So why is it so hard to do right in the world? Because everything that is right to the world is wrong before God. Does the Bible say anything like that? Look with me at 1 John. 1 John. We're starting to see why it's difficult to live the way that we're supposed to live. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Why is this, this world's wisdom so bad? Look at, start reading in verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What are we supposed to love? What are we supposed to love? God. Right? We're not supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. And we've got to get this. <laughs> this is foundational. All that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then look at the result of all that. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, so here we are, foundational truth. There's only one God. If you all agree with that, say amen. amen. And we're to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's foundational. And then we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the priority of that is these are the greatest commandments. This is it. This, is, this defines us. What does that look like? What does it look like? Well, we're supposed to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. Why is that so hard? Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness. Everything that seems right in this world is wrong. It's all upside down. Right? Save the whales, kill the babies. Hug a tree, kill a child. How many of you would agree that's upside down? Amen. It's completely upside down. That's the wisdom of this world. That's where we are. Now, why is it hard? Because the wisdom of this world is wrong. And not only is the wisdom of this world bad, everything that is in this world is bad. All that is in the world. How does it say it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And see, I think this is where we struggle. I think this is where we struggle. Because we must live in this world. We live here. We interact here. All of our friendships, all of our associations, all of our business, everything that we do is in a world that is against God. Why is it against God? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4. 
Let's start reading in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, and we're going to look at that in a minute, as we have received mercy, we faint not. You see the loving mercy again? Okay, because we've received mercy, we don't faint in our ministry. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. So, you know, I, I can't stand up and, you know, let's say that I want a new car, and so I preach to you that, you know, if you really love God, then you're going to honor your pastor by buying him a new car and find Scripture to do that. That would be handling the Word of God deceitfully because nothing in the Bible says anything about me getting a new car. Amen? Now, if you want to get me a new car, you know, besides that, great. I'm in. All right? Now, look at what it says. Not handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. All right? So here's the difference. You don't handle the Word of God deceitfully. You, you make it plain. How do you make it plain? By living it. Oh, man. Now, all of a sudden, our role of teachers of the Word of God, and we're all supposed to be teaching the Word of God, now all of a sudden our role of teaching the Word of God just got a little bit harder. Well, how do we do that? Look, keep, keep your place in 4. Go to chapter 3 and verse 2. Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. All right? So the Word of God is taking place in you, and then you live that out. And everybody you know reads the book of your life. Is that right? Okay, back to chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And I think this is something that we've got to understand. There are only two kinds of people in the world, saved people and lost people. You're saved, you're lost. There's nobody that's in between. There's nobody part way. Well, I'm almost there. If I just try a little bit harder, if I just go to church more, if I just give a little bit more, if I just be a better mom, better dad, whatever, I'll make it. No, you're the Savior, you're lost. That's it. Well, why don't they know they're lost? Why don't they know? Look at the next verse. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why is it so hard to live our faith in this world? Because all that is wise, all of the advice or counsel that someone would give you, all of the common sayings, all of the bumper stickers, all of the commercials are against God. Right? Why is that? Because this world has a God. He's not the true God. See the small g? He's not the true God. But he is the God of this world. He's Satan. And he has established something. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's the world where we live. The reason that it's so hard, foundational truth, the reason that it's so hard for our families to be Christ-like, the reason it's so hard for us to manifest Christ, to live out Christ in this world, is because this entire world is against what we believe. We, we've got to understand that. You've got to be prepared for battle. We need to know where we're going. Foundational truth. There's one true God. It looks like doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. And it's hard because of this world. All right? So that's the first point. Foundational truth. So now, if we're going to learn how to come boldly for our families, well, then we need to learn, we need to learn what does a godly family look like? What, how does God describe 
the family in the Bible. Well, let's go to the book of Ephesians. And this is probably going to be a little different than you're expecting. Let's try to build a biblical understanding of the Christian home. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to use the book of Ephesians, allow the Word of God to describe our homes to us. Now, the book of Ephesians is something that's really interesting. The book of Ephesians deals with the church and it deals with the home, and you can't tell when it's talking about which one. Why is that? Because churches are made up of homes. Is that right? So let's, let's look at this and let's get six principles, six things that the Bible says about how to have a Christian home. Number one, to have a Christian home, we must first be Christians. Amen? That sounds simple, but it's not. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. All right, so before you can have a Christian home, you've got to be a Christian. How do you become a Christian? By believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ died for your sins because you're a sinner and you deserve hell. He died for your sins. Then He was buried and He rose from the dead proving that He was and is and always will be God. And if you'll believe that, if you'll come to Him and you'll say, Lord Jesus, I deserve hell, but You died for me. I believe that. I believe that You're God and You're the Lord. Will You save me? If you'll do that, He'll save you. And when that happens, you're sealed. He puts a boom. He puts a seal on you. The Holy Spirit of God. And you're sealed forever. When you genuinely trust in Him, place your faith and trust in whom you also trusted. When you trust Him for your eternal life, He seals you forever. There's nothing else you ever have to do to go to heaven. He seals you forever. So the first thing that has to happen for you to have a Christian home is you've got to be a Christian. And everyone in the home needs to be a Christian. If dad's a Christian, you have Nick Arling here. If dad's a Christian, that doesn't mean the rest of the family's Christian. Derek, are you saved? Yeah. Amen. Yvonne, are you saved? Yeah. Amen. We're not sure about the other boys. We're praying for them. <laughs> Especially Nathan. Now look, dad might be a Christian. The rest of the family could be lost. The rest of the family could be saved and dad could be lost. Before you can have a Christian home, the family's got to have Christians in it. All the parties need to be saved. Uh, there's a passage, we don't have time to go there, but the Bible says this, it's in, it's in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 14. God says He's going to destroy the land. And if, I think it's Moses and Job and Noah are in the land, they'll be saved, but not their families. What is that saying? Individual accountability. I am not going to stand before God and answer for Jacob's salvation. Jacob's going to stand before God and answer for his salvation. Now, I'm going to be responsible for whether or not I modeled Christ so that he could know Christ. I'm accountable for that as dad. Will you all agree with that? But ultimately, Jacob has to trust Christ as a savior for himself. Lydia, who's marrying Bo, has to trust <laughs> Christ as her savior. That She has to come to the place where she's put her faith and trust in Christ alone for her eternal life, all right? When all parties in the family do that, look at what's possible. This is pretty cool. Look at what God says is possible. Look at verse 16. 
Here's how Paul prays for these people who are saved. Ceasing not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... So you can't be saved if Jesus isn't your Lord. Is that right? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. What have we already learned? The wisdom of this world's all wrong. Where are you going to get true wisdom from? God, from Jesus Christ. And revelation in the knowledge of Him. What's revelation? That's revealed truth. Where do we find revealed truth? Right here. You can understand this. Once you get saved, you can understand this. You can't understand this until you're saved. All right? It's foolishness, the Bible says. Then, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory, uh, uh, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding... Now, this is what we got to get right here. This is what's possible. What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power? See, here's what we think. We'll look at a, at a model Christian home, and then we look at ours. Right? Look at a model Christian home, then we look at ours, and we say, oh my goodness, what have I done? This is, this is not right. You know, I laid the wood floor in my house. And we have a room that we added on. We call it sunroom. And there's a threshold. And then I ran the wood the same direction as the other. And I'm terrible at math. I'm terrible at all that stuff. But if you draw me a picture, I can generally follow it. Okay? And so what you do is you measure out, I don't know, three feet. And then you measure out four feet. And you measure that, and that tells you whether you're straight or not. Okay? I don't know what that's called, how to do it. And when I measured it, I found out I was crooked. I was off by like three-eighths of an inch. So I made my adjustment. And so it was perfect, except I made my adjustment the wrong way. <laughs> so now, what's, what's two times three-eighths? It's like six inches. And, but that's what it looks like to me. Every time, we got a big rug in there now, so you got, next time you come to my house, you look real close, you'll see it. And you walk by and you go, who's the idiot that laid that floor? Did you pay for that? Come on. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> I'm the idiot. And what we do is, you look at a perfect floor. I go to Dan New's house, and the floor's perfect. I hate him. <laughs> and I compare my floor to Dan's floor, and I say, man, I'm an idiot. What's the difference? He did it right. You know what the good news is? I could tear that up and do it right. Because I've seen the model. I've seen the truth. Now look, it's very clear in the Word of God. What some of us need to do, we need to tear up what's happened at our homes. We need to tear it up and put it down right. How are we going to do it? I can't do that. You can if you believe that you got the power of God. Look what the Bible says that power will do. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. Look at what this says. Principality and power, what's that? Demons. That's the spirit, that's the God of this world. That's the wisdom of this world. Jesus Christ has been set far above that, that dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all. Now look, Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head of your home, just like he's the head of the church. And in your home can be all the fullness of God. You can have that. 
How? Because you're going to be a good dad. No, because the Holy Spirit of God is in everyone in the home. That's why it's got to be a Christian home. See that? So if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a Christian home, the first thing that happens is you've got to all be Christians. The possibility. When you're saved, all this becomes possible. And the power of Christ became available to you when you got saved. Then, to have a Christian home, to have a Christian home, we must learn a new way to walk. A new way to walk. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Look what the Bible says. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is what happens when you're saved. When you're born again, you are dead spiritually, now you're alive. Quickened. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all... What does all mean? (laughs) Among whom we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in... you see how this word keeps coming up? What's it say? Mercy. For His great love wherein He loved us, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, to have a Christian home, we must learn a new way to walk. We we are on, don't miss this, we're on Satan's course whether we want to admit it or not. You remember at Disneyland? Your kids, they could get in that car and drive. They had the gas, they had the brake, which they never used. Right? And you're sitting on the right side. They're sitting on the left side. And they're driving. They're really driving. And you could let them do it. Why? Because it was on a rail. And so they had a little liberty. But eventually that rail was going to take them where the rail was going to go. Do you know what that's called? The course of this world. So while the world... Here's, here's where we are. We think we're in charge. We, hey, I got this. Hey, pastor, you, you just do your own thing. Uh, yeah, yeah you, tell, you, tell, you tell me that your, your, my kids are supposed to obey. Wait until your kids are teenagers. I'm going to do it my way. Okay? I've actually heard that. All right? They're teenagers now. And you were right. No. Um, so you're on the course of this world, right? You're driving. You think you've got it covered. And what you're doing is you're driving exactly what Satan wants you to drive. I guarantee you there's someone in here that's saying, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. What does the Bible say? What's it say right here? Verse 2, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. All of us. That's where we are. You say, but no, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm saved. I'm saved. Just because you're saved does not mean that you're walking according to the course that Jesus Christ has for you. If you're still doing what you think is right, then what what you are living with is that mind that you had when you were lost. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Even though we're saved, we still have a fleshly mind. That's why we need the Spirit of God to teach us through His Word 
what we're supposed to do. So, first of all, if you're going to have a Christian home, we must first have Christians. Secondly, we've got to learn a new way to walk. We must, through the Spirit of God, learn to walk in newness of life. That's what Romans 6.4 says. This happens when we realize our position. Okay? Do you know that you're not of this world? This is not an X-Files thing. All right? But you're not of this world. Look at what the Bible says. Look at verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you are saved today? Do you know where you are right now? You're in heaven. You're with Jesus. You're in Him. That's, that's your place. You say, wait a minute. When I picture heaven, it's not really Sydney. <laughs> These gold pew pads are, you know, they're okay. <laughs> but I'm thinking streets of gold. You see the difference? We have to understand our position. We are in Christ. Practically, we're still here in this world. Remember when Jesus Christ prayed for us in John 17? He says, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world. And that while they're in the world, you keep them from the evil. Why? Because lots of people need to get saved yet. God's grace is so wonderful. He's left us here for a reason. We're here to be His light. We're here to be His epistle in the world. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. How do you lay down your life for your friends? You give him the gospel. You say, man, I don't want to do that, Lord, but this is what you told me to do. Okay, so here you go. You know what? You need to be saved. All of a sudden, life changes. We start walking according to the course of this world. We start walking not according to the course of this world. We need to learn to take every step of our lives according to the Prince of Peace, not the Prince of the Power of the Air. That's got to happen through the Holy Spirit of God. It's not natural. It must be learned. Okay, so number one, first thing we got to be, first thing, if you're going to have a Christian home, you got to have Christians. Second thing, we got to learn a new way to walk. What about number three? Number three, to have a Christian home, we got to recognize two things. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. You have to recognize two things. Look at verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. What's that talking about? No one knew until the Apostle Paul started preaching. Nobody knew that everybody, Jews, Gentiles, anybody could be in Christ. That's, that's a mystery that, that, that God called Paul to preach. Any of you in Christ today? Are you saved? Praise God. Now look at what it says. Why did he do this? All right, so this is, we've got to understand our place. We're in Christ. Two things we've got to understand. Our place. Our place in the world. What are we supposed to do? Look at verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Oh, man, look at this. This is so cool. This is so cool. Remember those principalities and powers that God has set Jesus Christ over? We saw that in chapter 1, right? Now here in chapter 3, what we're learning is this. We're going to teach Him something. We're going to teach Him the power and wisdom of God. The God of this world, who has established the course of this world, 
who has said that he's going to make sure that the prevailing principle, the prevailing truth, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age will be lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. The wisdom of this world. Hey, you got to get ahead. You got to get ahead. Most important thing in America, you got to get an education. You got to get a good job. You got to have a good income. Hey, and you got to be a great athlete. Most important thing in the world is you got to be a great athlete. That's really important. That's that's because you know, our stars, our most important people that we look up to, are, or be a star, or be a star. Uh, put your face all over YouTube. Everybody will know you. Charlie bit me. <laughs> put yourself on YouTube. Everybody will know who you are. Fame. That's it. That's the most important thing. Uh, everybody's going to know my name. Really? That's the wisdom of this world. That's the wisdom of this world. Hey, hey, you deserve it. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm worth it. L'Oreal. See, that's the world. That's the world. Is that right? Are you with me? That's the wisdom of the world. Do you know what we're supposed to show? These principalities and powers, these, the God of this world and His minions, do you know what we're supposed to show them? The wisdom of God. That's what you're supposed to do. We are not supposed to live like the world. We're supposed to be so different from the world that even the angels say, wow, how'd they do that? Wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Then look. Look what it says. How are we going to do that? Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So he's in prison. He's suffering as he writes this, but don't let that stop you. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now check this out. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're named in Jesus Christ, so we're called Christians. What's our family supposed to be called? Christian. Christian. Then look at what it says. That He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Wait a minute. What's the greatest of the commandments? Lord our Lord is one. Lord our God is one Lord. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy strength. With, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Rooted and grounded in love. God's going to grant you. What's He going to grant you? That you may be able to comprehend with all saints. Who are the saints? You know, St. Saint Francis, St. Saint Valentine. No. Everybody that's saved may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Any of our science people here understand there's four dimensions there. You can't get anything over on God. He knows everything. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, how in the world is that going to happen? Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How is that going to happen? According to the power that worketh where? Can we all say that? Where is it working? How is my home? How's my home going to manifest to the principalities and powers the plan of God, the wisdom of God? How's that going to happen? Because that power is in us. It's not your power. 
You know, it's not Tony Robbins, you have the power to become successful. It's not that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you as you die to self and accept the wisdom of God as revealed in the Word of God. Now we're starting to see what a Christian home looks like. You can't have a Christian home unless you're a Christian. You can't have a Christian home unless you learn as a Christian a new way to walk. And you can't have a Christian home unless you understand that you've got a purpose and you've got power. That purpose is to live in the world different than the world according to the wisdom of God done by the power of God. It's amazing. Why is that going to happen? Because all through the ages, look at verse 21, unto Him, that's God the Father, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You see, the world, God is to receive glory in this world by the church, which is made up of homes. Why can we do that? Because we have the Spirit of God in us. So, first thing, you've got to be a Christian. Second thing, you've got to find a new way to walk. Third thing, you've got to understand that you've got a place and a purpose. Then number, number four. Number four. To have a Christian home, we've got to understand two things. Look at chapter four. First thing is in verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. All right? You have a vocation. You've got to understand two things. God has a job for you. Your job is not teacher, engineer, pharmacist, police officer, fireman. Your job is not factory worker, line leader, uh, whatever. That's not your job. Your job is to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. What is that calling? Look at what it says. With all lowliness of mind and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Does that sound anything like Micah 6, 8? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly before thy God. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because we believe something. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Wait a minute. We're all the way back to what Jesus Christ said. One God. Well, wait a minute. How in the world are we going to live all of this? Okay, we're established, we're Christians. We know we're supposed to walk different. Now we're supposed to show demons what, what's right. How in the world am I going to do that? You've got to remember, there's only one God. <laughs> there's only one God. And He's taught us some things. We're supposed to know some things. We're supposed to be assured of some things. We've got to believe this. If we really believe what God is telling us to believe, then we know how to understand our job. Have you ever had a job that you didn't know how to do? That's not a Christian. That's not a Christian. So, we have to understand that we have a vocation. Not only do we have a vocation, we have a volition. What is volition? That's my will. You know nobody can make you do anything? You know, if they're big enough and they're strong enough, they're powerful enough, they can make you behave in a certain way, but they can't do anything on the inside. It's like the little boy, his dad told him to sit down. The boy just stood there. He said, I told you to sit down. Just stood there. Dad came, pushed him down. He said, I told you to sit down. He looks at his friend next to him and said, I'm standing up on the inside. I tell you, you can beat that out of that kid. I can tell you that right now. But look, that's another sermon. But look, you can't make anybody do anything. Is that right? But if you choose to, 
You can through the power of the Holy Spirit. How does He accomplish that? Look what it says, verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, building up, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here's how this is accomplished. God gave you the church. God gave you teachers. He gave you the Word of God. The apostles and prophets gave us the Word of God. The evangelists established the churches, and the pastors and teachers teach you in the churches how you can accomplish these things in your lives. It's really simple. It's not that complicated. Amen? Like, two people agree with that? Now, look. We understand that there's a volition. We have a vocation. Walk worthy. If I've got to do that through my will, how's that going to happen? Look at what the Bible says. Um, we've got to walk with perspective. Walk with perspective. We get that perspective from the Word of God. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk. Are you, seeing, are, are, are you seeing any repetition here? What you believe is determined by how you walk, how you live. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from now on, walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Here, here's what vanity, remember what vanity is? What's vanity? That of which rocks dream. Remember that? What do rocks dream about? Nothing. Here's how the average Gentile walks. <clears throat> I don't know. Is that right? I don't know. Should we go this way? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Should we go to church? I don't know. How do we raise our kids? I don't know. Is that right? There's, they have no truth. There's no specific right and wrong. It's all about how you feel. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm kind of blue. Today I'm kind of red. Or I'm gray. What? You understand that's how people live. What do you feel like today? No, what do you know today? What is the truth today? We're not supposed to walk in the vanity of our mind. The emptiness. Don't be empty-headed. Right? That's what the Bible says. Don't walk that way. We're supposed to know some things. And here's how those empty-headed people who are walking in the vanity of their mind, this is what they do. Verse 18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Plus the eyes, plus the flesh, pride of life. That's where they live. That's the entire world. Is that right? Lifestyles, the rich and famous. That's all. That's the whole world. But, so don't be, you've got to walk with perspective. Then we're going to walk with purpose. Look what it says in verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard of Him. You know, in other words, maybe you don't know Christ. Right? Then look at what it says. And have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's the volition. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, and conversation is your lifestyle. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Well, what, how are you going to do that? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to think differently. You can't have that vanity of your mind. You've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right? Now, look, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. 
Is he ever going to stop? No, that's not the one I was thinking of. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Already. You're sitting there listening to all this. Man, I am such a loser. I stink. I've, I've been saved for a long time. I've been a disciple. I know. I'm still a loser. Yeah, my name is Jim. I'm a loser too. Okay? Has anybody here arrived yet? No, no. Don't worry. There's hope coming. Some of you have already dug yourself so far down into that hole. Please stop. Please stop. I can't hear anymore. No, the, the good news is coming, okay? We're, we're learning how to establish this Christian home. Volitionally, I need to be renewed in the spirit of mind. How does that happen? How does that happen? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are we renewed in our mind? By the washing of water by the Word. The Word of God will do that. Then look at what it says. After you've put off that old man, you've been renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do justly. Okay, so now, here's my message for you today. All right? Be holy. Be righteous. The only problem is, Bob's definition of righteous might be different than Patrick's definition of righteous. Y'all see that? It might be different. So what's our standard? How are we going to know what's righteous? Well, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Here we go. Y'all ready to find out what your house is supposed to look like? You ready just practically? What's, what's a Christian home going to look like? Practically. By God's will, here's what we're going to do. Look at what it says. Verse 24. Or verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of another. Okay, here you go. This is really pie-in-the-sky stuff. Tell the truth. Stop lying. Uh, ladies, if something hurts your feelings, tell them. Men, if you don't like that supper, tell her, or you'll have to eat it again. <laughs> Does this make me look fat? Don't ever answer that question. Find a way not to lie, but don't ever answer that question. Now look. Uh, don't lie. Do you realize how much deceit is in the average Christian home? Don't lie to the Lord. Don't lie to your children. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie. Tell the truth. All of a sudden, we're out of the sky, and we're into where we live. Then, look at what it says. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Take care of your anger. Anger is not a sin. There's stuff that you're supposed to get mad at. Anger is not a sin. If she does something that's wrong and it makes you mad, it's okay to be mad. Deal with it righteously. Be loving. Forgive. Deal with the issue and don't go to sleep mad. That's why some of you are like this. You've been awake for like three weeks. <laughs> Can't go to sleep. I'm still mad. <laughs> Get it right. Get it right. Then, look at this, neither give place to the devil. This is one of my favorite things in the Bible. You come home, you know, you got two kids. You come home and there's five places there at the table. 
and your kids say, hey, who's that one for? Oh, that's for Satan. How are you going to invite Satan into your home? By going to sleep mad. It's that simple. It is that simple. You know what's going to destroy your home? Having Satan in your home. Giving place to the devil. Allowing that system to get into your home. Why? Because he makes me so mad. That's why you got the Holy Spirit of God. The only way you can live with that knothead is because the Holy Spirit. The power that rose in from the dead will help you live with that moron. It's just true. It is true. Because, guys, listen. I wish I had time to do more of this, but this is so true. Generally, men are obtuse. What does that mean? It means we're men. Absolutely no idea what's going on around us. Right? You ever been sitting there, you're watching a ball game, you're doing something, the kids are spilling stuff, screaming, one of them's got blood running out of their eye, mom's trying to care for stuff. Can you help me with this? Huh? What? Huh? Huh? Oh, okay. Now, ladies, is that true? Seriously. Is that true? That's guys. That's us. You know why, you know why God made us like that? So we could live with our wives. Because nobody could take all that stuff all the time. Okay? Look, men are naturally obtuse. Women are naturally more sensitive than men. Now, I know some of you guys are more in touch with your feminine side. Some of you ladies are more masculine. Hi, what's your name? Max. You know, I understand that there are exceptions to the rule. But overall, this is the way it is. Women are sensitive. Men are not. Right? So what do we got to do? Tell the truth. Don't give place to Satan, man. He'll destroy your home. Then look at what it says. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. All right? Here's the idea. You want to have a godly home? Men, work hard. Go to work. Work hard. Do your job. Do it well. Do it as unto the Lord. Amen? That's your job. Work hard. Don't steal. Don't, don't steal. I'm about to go into politics. Let's just keep tracking. Let's make sure that we're working hard. But why? So that we can give. You can't have a Christian home if you're not giving right. If you're taking it all in, taking it all in, it's about mm, precious. If it's all about you, that's not a Christian home. You work so that you can help others. That's why you work. And the reason God's not blessing some of our homes is because we don't give. We don't give to the Lord's work. We don't give to our brothers and sisters who are in need. We don't give. Why? I can't afford to. I can't. Oh, okay. so God's a liar. Thanks. Let's all go home. Let's go fishing because God's a liar. No. Let's give to each other, to the Lord's work. That's why we work. Then look at what it says. Number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. This is so simple. When we think of corrupt communication, we think of swearing. That's not what this passage is talking about. Now, the pastor's not endorsing swearing. Y'all understand that, right? But that's not what this text is talking about. It defines it for us. Corrupt communication is anything that doesn't build up or minister grace. So it's like, Jake, come here. Here's corrupt communication. You ready? You are so stupid. That was encouraging. 
Now, how many of you have ever wanted to say that to your children? Yeah. But here's the deal. He's not stupid. He does stupid things. <laughs> Why? Because he's 13. I've never met a 13-year-old who didn't do stupid things. Right? So here's the, here's the way that you say it right. Jacob, you're smarter than that. You know better than we talk about it. Do you see the difference? See, it's the same thing. Thanks, Jake. How about this? Laura, your cooking stinks. You always make this. House is never clean. You never pick up after yourself. No, that's the other way. Now we're getting a little close to home. You see, that's corrupt communication. The illustration I like to use of this, we lived in, uh, t in Oklahoma, and I don't like cold coffee. So I get half a cup of coffee. If it's too cold, I dump it out and get hot coffee. She had a white sink, and I would dump the coffee. Finally, she came to me and she said, will you please rinse the sink when you dump your coffee in it? It stains the sink. What was that? She was being honest. She had let the sun go down on her wrath for like three years and finally <laughs> told me the truth. And now what am I going to do? She's told me what she needs in the right way. Now what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to respond properly to that. Amen? You see, we, we spend so much time attacking each other. Always and never doesn't help. Nobody is always mean. No one is always lazy. No one is always sloppy. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to deal with specific issues. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Build them up. Speak to them the way you want them to become. Tell them what they can be in the Lord through His grace. Then, look at the next verse. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Look, how many of you want your prayers to be answered? Right? So then live right. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, praise God. It already tells you that by which you're sealed until the holy day of redemption. You're not going to lose your, your salvation if you don't do right. But what's going to happen is your prayers aren't going to be answered. What's our message on today? Come boldly for your family. How many of you want that prayer to be answered? Then obey God. He's told you what to do. He's told you what to do. Then look at what it says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness. Ladies, this is primarily your problem. You get bitter. Why? Because you let the anger go down upon your wrath. He's never going to change. You're right. You married him. He's not going to change unless the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of him. And there's never been a man in the world that has changed because of a nagging wife. I'm just telling you, there's never... Every man in the world, however he responds, is inside going, Ah! <laughs> They're not going to respond to it. <clears throat> men, don't make your wives bitter. Love her. Love her as Christ loved the church. Then, wrath. We know what that is. And anger. All right? So wrath, that's getting them. That's making them pay. The clamor, that's the noise that comes from wrath. Do you have noisy homes from your anger? Put that away with all malice. 
So what's the solution? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Oh, wait a minute. Now we're getting to the hard part. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You've got to forgive. And that's on purpose. That's volitional. That's how we're supposed to do it. So number one, you've got to be a Christian. Number two, you've got to learn a new way to walk. Number three, you've got to understand you've got a purpose. Number four, you've got a vocation. You've got to walk as a Christian. And then you've got to have the will. You've got to make a choice to do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. Let's finish up. Look at chapter number five. To have a Christian home, we must faithfully, prayerfully accept and fulfill, fulfill our specific role. We must faithfully and prayerfully accept our specific role. First thing we have to do in order to do that is don't be deceived. Look at what the Bible says in verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. See, now look, you're not going to lose your salvation, but if you walk and live like an unsaved person, you're going to receive the result in your life of that sin. How many of you see that the homes in, in America are a mess? See, but what we don't understand is the homes in Grace Baptist Church in many cases are a mess. Why? Because we're living like the world and we're receiving the result that the world receives. You don't have to do that. That's deception. That's deception. Look at what it says in verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't have to walk like those that are in darkness. So don't be deceived. Then how are we going to do that? Well, wake up. Look at verse 14. Some of you are asleep right there, and that woke you up, but that's good. Look at what it says. Verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools. All right, here's what the fools are doing. The world's walking in the vanity of their mind. Oh, whatever. Okay, I like this. Okay, oh, oh I better go this way. Oh, okay. That's not the way that we're supposed to walk. We're supposed to walk circumspectly. Circumference, looking around us. You know what's going on in the world. This is going to hurt my family. This right here, this, this, this sweet little Hannah Montana that my, I'm going to let my little girl put on her wall is one day going to be dressing naked on TV and doing all this stuff. Let's walk circumspectly. This hero, Whitney Houston. You know what? These aren't the people that we ought to honor. We need to honor people that are serving the Lord. What am I doing? I'm walking circumspectly. I'm walking circumspectly. All of a sudden, it's practical. Amen? You know what? My kids need to be under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. They're influenced by the world all the way around. This whole world is against them. God gave us an answer for that, pastors and teachers. Let's make sure we're in church. Let's make sure we take care of those things. Walking circumspectly. What's the opposite of that? A fool. A fool. Let's not be fools. So don't be deceived. And then redeem the time. Redeem the time. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing making melody in your heart to the Lord. Look, a Christian home has Christian music. Hello? Anybody here? Hello? Christian home has Christian music. If you can't sing to the Lord in your home, you don't have a Christian home. There ought to be a spirit in your home that promotes singing praises to God. Then look at what it says. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is your place? It's the place of thanksgiving. That's where when your wife brings you your tea, you say, thank you. Thanks for making this meal. Thanks for doing this. When you come home, your kids might say, hey, Dad, thank you for giving me a, a, a bed to sleep in. I don't have to sleep on the floor. I'm not outside. Thank you. Thank you for air conditioning and heat. Thank you for hot showers. Thank you for Xbox. All that stuff comes from loving and godly parents who care about their kids. You need to be thankful. You need to be thankful. Wives, you need to be thankful to your husband. He protects your home. He loves you. He cares for you. He works his fingers to the bone so you can have a place to live. He'd give his life for you if someone tried to come into that house. You need to be thankful. Doing like what the Bible says. Giving thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. None of this works if he's not your Lord. Then, what are you supposed to do? What's your place? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Before a wife can submit, the whole family's got to submit to each other. We've got to say, look, it's hard to live together. It's hard for anybody to live together. The only way this can work righteously if we submit to each other. That's where if she wants me to rinse out the sink, I've got to rinse out the sink. Why? So we can live happily together. That's submitting one to another. And then, what's the Bible say? What is your place? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Look, that's not a choice. You're either obedient or you're disobedient. You're either submitting to your husband or you're not. How many of you want a happy home? Seriously. You want a happy, peaceful, godly, Christ-like home. Ladies, that can't happen if you're not submitting to your husband. But he's an idiot. The Bible doesn't give you any. The Bible doesn't give you any way out. Submit to him. He'll answer to God for those choices that he makes. Two sins don't make it right. His being in error and your refusing to follow him are both sins. Submit. Submit. Now, here's the deal. Nobody can make you do that. No one can make you do that. Oh, yeah, he might be able to go caveman on you. Although I think some of you ladies could take your husband. I don't know. He might go caveman on you, but that's not going to make you submit. That might make you docile, but it's not going to make you submit. You're the only one that can submit. Then look what the Bible says. And then it says, For the husband is the head. That's your place, husband. Is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What does that say? Wives, what are you supposed to submit to your husbands? I want to hear you say it. What are you wives supposed to submit to your husbands in? Everything. Everything. Husbands, you've got a great responsibility. You've got a great responsibility. Ladies, you might say, I can't do that. Oh, that's right. God's a liar. God's a liar. Is God a liar? No, then you can submit. You can honor your husband. You can honor your husband. Then look at what it says. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Now look at this. It's so good. It's so practical. Any guys here like to eat? That's how much you're supposed to love your wife. Does God know us? 
Does God know us, guys? As much as you like food, that's much you're supposed to love your wife. What do you do for food? Man, you work hard for it. You give your all for it. That's how much you're supposed to love your wife. Actually, you're supposed to go farther than that. You're supposed to be willing to die. And that's not only die physically, because I think most of the guys in here would be willing to die for their, their families. That, I don't think there's any doubt about that. We have, we have good men here. The question is, are you willing to give your life for her and li- as you live? That's how Christ loved us. Then, look what the Bible says. Guys, boy, it sounds like I spent more time on the ladies. Guys, be the kind of man that she wants to submit to. Because I can tell you this, she really does want to submit to you. She does. But she doesn't trust you. Be trustworthy. Was Jesus Christ trustworthy? Be trustworthy. Be honorable. Then, lastly, got to have our roles. Then lastly, to have a Christian home, we must realize that we're in a war. We're in a war. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, so here's the idea. Don't, don't miss this. Imagine this. This is so important. I'll come over here. Come to Chad. Hannah, right? Okay, I got it right, yes. All right, now, I'm going to kill her. No, you're not. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. But what are you going to do about it? Everything. Really? Absolutely. I don't believe you. <laughs> you should have seen his face. You should have seen his face. Ready for this? Jacob, stand up. Sit down. What if he didn't want to do that? What if he said no? Now, I am in the same fight that Chad was in a minute ago, if the Bible's true. If I want my children to have a long and happy life, they have to obey me. Is that what the Bible says? That same fight that we're about to have here is the same fight that the big man has with the three-year-old. He's willing to fight the attacker, but he's not willing to fight the spirit of the world in his child. Not willing to fight that. You have to understand, if we're going to have a happy home, if we're going to have a Christian home, dads, you've got to understand, you are in a war. It's a war for your children's life, for their future for their future on earth and their future in heaven. Because if they can't trust you at home, why should they trust the church that you've chosen to take them to? If they can't trust you at home, why should they trust the man that you've chosen as pastor? If they can't trust you at home, why should they trust the book that you claim to believe in? We are in a battle, a warfare. Husbands, you're in a warfare for the love and respect of your wife. Ladies, you're in a warfare for the heart and soul of your husband. Do you understand that the world wants to take your husband's heart away from that home? The world wants to take your husband's heart and put it on sports. 
Put it on pornography. Put it on that little girl at the office. The world wants to take your husband away from you. Are you going to turn his heart toward home? Or are you going to drive his heart to the world? Man, husband, do you realize that the world wants to absolutely annihilate your house? Do you understand that what that robber won't be able to do, that little girl at the office can? Lose everything. All of it. Gone. Just like that. Just like that. We are in a war. We're in a battle. And it's so real. And I don't think we understand it. Every day, every step, everything from the sound waves, everything in the eye gate, it's all of this world and it's all against God's plan. We are in a battle. A warfare. Now our soldiers prepare. They do their push-ups and sit-ups and they run and they learn how to shoot and they learn how to follow orders and they learn how to, how to dress alike and, and they, they learn to lose their own personal identity into the identity of the battle, of, the, of, the, of the, the, the troop. See, we have to understand that we're in a battle. But what does the Bible say? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this world. How do we keep from doing that? The Lord our God... Is one Lord. There's only one God. And what's the greatest commandment? Well, there's only one. I got to worship Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, all my strength. Then I got to love my neighbor as myself. I got to do justly. And I got to love mercy. And I got to walk humbly before my God. It's hard because this entire world is against me. But God has given us a, a remedy. He's given us a plan for our homes. You've got to be saved. You can't have a Christian home without being Christians. You've got to understand that the world wants you to walk differently than God does. And so He's given us His Holy Spirit in us, and He's given us the roadmap for how to live right. We have to understand that we have a place. We're in heaven. We're with Christ. But He's told us to live on this earth so that we can show the, even the spirits what God's will is in this world. That we've been given, we've been given a vocation. We have a job. We have a responsibility. And that's got to be according to our will, where we submit our will to His. And then we, by choice, by choice, with an act of a, as a man or as a godly woman or as a godly child, we say, you know what? I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to live right. I'm going to make sure that I'm in control of my anger. I'm going to make sure that I'm working hard. I'm not going to give place to the devil. I'm going to make sure that I'm able to give, that I'm interested in, in, in the affairs of, of life that are around me. I'm going to make sure that no corrupt communication proceeds out of my mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I'm going to not grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby I'm sealed until the day of redemption. I'm going to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger. I'm going to put away all clamor with all malice. And you know how I'm going to do that? How am I going to do that? Being kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Once I understand that, then I can fulfill my role. I can be a godly husband. You can be a godly wife. You can be obedient children. And then when I get in that warfare, I look around and I see this whole world is against me. I'm going to be armed. I'm going to walk circumspectly. I'm going to make sure I got a bead on that guy. That guy's coming in my home. He's not coming here. I don't care who it is. We're going to protect this home spiritually as well as physically. My children are going to obey. I might have to go home and apologize to them and say, you know what? 
I'm sorry. You heard what the pastor said, and it's not the preacher. It's the Word of God. You heard that. Kids, I've not been a good dad. Starting today, with God's help, I'm going to be. I'm sorry for allowing you to behave this way. From now on, you can't behave that way anymore. It's going to be hard for you because you've learned some habits. I'm going to help you break those habits. Mom, are you with me? Are you with me? Will you follow me? I don't believe you. I understand. I'm going to try and live it right. I'm going to try and do it right. Will you do this? Yes, I'll submit. I'll submit. I'll do what God's told me to do. When we understand that, look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I can't do this. You're right. But His strength is made perfect in weakness. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Then what are you going to do? You're going to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We are not ignorant of his devices. The Bible's told us what he's going to do, right? All right, so now we understand we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My problem is not the lost school teacher. My problem is the system that created the lost school teacher, right? My problem is not the unsaved boss. My problem is not desperate housewives. Your problem is if you let it in your house. Amen? What is my problem? This world system. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, in having done all to stand. Look at the difference. I'm going to withstand... That attack comes, and I'm going to withstand so that I'm going to stand. So here's my question. Are you going to stand? Dads, men in this room, are you going to stand? Are you willing to stand? Are you willing to take on that fight, that very real fight, this warfare that's around us? The battle for our families, it all starts in your heart and in your mind. Your wife needs a man to follow. Keep out of the pornography. Keep out of the wickedness. Keep out of the sin. Stop being ignorant and obtuse. Be aware of what your daughter's wearing. Be aware of who their influences are. Be aware of what your son is watching, who his friends are, what they're allowed to do. Be aware of what this world is trying to do to your home. Be aware of it. Stand. How? Got to put on that armor. Put on that armor. Look at how it says to do it. Stand, therefore, verse 14, having your loins girt about with the truth. We know what that is. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You got all these loose ends of your life. That's what they would do. They'd have these long robes on. When it came time to fight, they'd take that robe and they'd tie it up in their belt, a girdle. Why? Because you don't want those loose ends to get in the way when it's time to fight. Folks, we're in a warfare. Guys, what are you supposed to do? Ladies, what are you supposed to do? Tie up all that loose thinking with the Word of God. Doesn't matter what mom says. Doesn't matter what lost dad says. Doesn't matter what your buddies say. God's Word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Amen? Gird up. Gird up. Your loins gird about with the truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. So what are you supposed to do? Put on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness. And what does that cover? What's the breastplate cover? Your vital organs, primarily your heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Cover it up. Christ's righteousness. Let Him protect you. Let Him protect you. 
Then look at what it says. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When's the last time you left the house prepared to give somebody the gospel? When's the last time you left the house and said, I'm going to give the gospel today? That guy next to me, he's going to hear about the Word of God. That kid, they're going to hear about the Word of God. That buddy at school, he's going to hear about the Word of God. What are you doing? What are you doing? When you have the loose ends of your life tied up in the Word of God, when you're clothed and protected by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, now you've got a purpose in life. My purpose, the thing that will help me to make sure my family stays right, is make sure that I'm trying to be a witness in the world. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. It helps you the way you live. It helps the way that you behave. Then look at what it says. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Remember, to withstand, those are coming. So here's my question this morning. Yeah, I know, I've preached for a long time. I understand that. Here's my question to you. Do you believe it? Do you believe what God said about the one true God? Do you believe that? Do you believe about your role in this place, husbands, the head of the home, Wives, submit. Children, obey. Do you believe that? Because when Satan starts to attack your family, you've got to have to, you're going to have to believe God because what's going to quench those fiery darts is your faith. It's your faith. Then look at what it says. Take the helmet of, your, of salvation. Where do you wear your helmet? On your head. You've got to know what you believe about salvation because when trouble comes... Everything in this world is going to tell you you're wrong. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Then, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You've got to have the Bible ready. You've got to know what it says. You've got to be able to use it as your weapon to protect against the wiles of the devil. This is my weapon. Pastor, your message was come boldly for the family. Where does prayer fit in to this warfare? Look at the next verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What are we supposed to do? Just pray. Just pray. So here's how we're going to pray. Husbands, you're going to pray that you can be a godly man, that the Lord will help you to stay pure, that you'll be a disciplined, loving, faithful husband and father. Wives, you're going to pray for your husband that he can be the man that God wants him to be. And you're going to pray that, you can, that your heart, that your heart will be made tender toward him, toward the Lord and toward your, toward your husband. And you'll say, Lord, he's my head. You're my head and you've given him as my head. Lord, help him be the man that you want him to be. And then you're going to pray for your children that they'll obey, that they'll be protected from this world. Then children, you're going to pray for your parents. You're going to pray, Lord, help my parents to protect me. Help my dad to know whether I'm supposed to do this thing or not. Help my mom to have wisdom when they, when they try to guide my life. Husbands, you're going to pray for your wife that you can dwell with her according to knowledge. Lord God, help me to know her better. Help me to understand her better. Help me to live with her, knowing her needs so she's not bitter against me. And then we're going to pray for each other. That's what the Bible says. Pray for each other. 
Folks, we're in a battle. I wish I could tell you what I know right now. I'm not going to. I can't. I wish I could tell you what's going on in Grace Baptist Church right now. So you don't understand how close this is to your house. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. You need to understand, Satan wants to destroy you. You have an adversary, you have an enemy. He hates a godly home. But you know what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How are you going to pray for your home? Understanding. Foundationally, there's only one God. If your family is your God, you'll never have a Christian home. If your career is your God, you'll never have a Christian home. If sports or success is your God, you'll never have a Christian home. But if God is your God, then you can have a successful Christian home. Thank you, Lord, for your word.